Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In the early 1200s, more than 800 years ago, a strange custom was created that we still use today. Under old English common law known as Magna Carta, two witnesses were needed for legal actions, sometimes to protect their identities. Fake names were given and scribbled onto documents. The names that appeared most often were John Doe and Richard Rowe. Typically, these cases were between landlords and squatters. Why they used those names or when they were first used is not clear. But according to a New York Times article on language, by the 19th century, the legal form name John Doe had become a symbol of the ordinary citizen. The name traveled to America as the average man or every man highlighted in a 1941 Frank Capra film starring Gary Cooper called Meet John Doe. The name is now the accepted standard for the unidentified or the anonymous John and his female counterpart Jane Doe, the universal placeholders of the unknown. According to the Center for Disease Control, between 1980 and 2004, a little more than 10,000 unidentified human remains were reported in the United States. About 75% came from five states, Arizona, California, Texas, Florida, and New York. Maybe they were homeless or lost touch with someone, a loved one, or friends trying to get somewhere else. Maybe some were searching for a better life. Some died of natural causes, but many were victims, killed, left for dead, the unidentified. My name is Dan Bowens, and you are listening to The Tape Room, part of the Fox 5 Podcast Network. Here, we take a look back at some of the tri-state area's infamous and unsolved crimes. We think it's important to shine new light on these cases. In this episode, we are talking about the thousands of men and women in this country who pass away without anyone being able to identify them. In an interview with Rebecca Turner, a woman who has transformed her own career, starting a new website called theunidentified.org and why she believes the power of a picture can make a difference. Hello? Hi, Rebecca. It's Dan Bowens with Channel 5. Hey, Dan. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. You're not uh, heading out to identify any DNA results at this hour, are you? <laughs> no, I saved this time specifically to speak with you. So, no, I'm not heading out right now. That's good. It's funny, you you sent me that message a couple weeks ago. Was that sort of a one-off for you to go out and sort of do that kind of work, or are you finding yourself doing that more and more? 
Well, I hope to be finding myself doing that more and more. Um, I am just a private citizen, so it was really more of a case of I had developed a relationship with the family of a missing person, and mm -hmm. she really only felt comfortable providing that DNA sample if I was there with her. Wow. The Unidentified Project, uh, it's an amazing website. You guys have hundreds, if not thousands, of photos of unidentified murder victims. I mean, it's amazing. It is, and they're not all murder victims. Um, these are all unidentified persons, but not every unidentified person is a homicide victim. Ah, uh, so some could have just people who have died who nobody knows who they are. Correct, yes. They could have been the, you know, hit by a car or just, you know, somebody who came to a hospital with no identification. Um, there's lots of reasons why they might be unidentified, and I want to feature all of them so that we can get, you know, as many solved as we can. It's it's so wild when you look at the website, uh, theunidentified.org, that you're looking at these people and you're looking at these sketches and you know they're sketches, but not knowing who these people are, you almost don't know sort of who or what you're, you're, you're looking at. I mean, you can sort of see these people, but just seeing the sketches, there is sort of this ghostly sort of feature to it when you're, when you're looking at, at some of those pictures. Case number 1522. It was 1979. A white or Hispanic woman between the ages of 18 and 25 years old. She was slim, about five foot five, brown hair and brown eyes. Her sketch shows an oval-faced woman, attractive, sort of close-cropped, bushy hair. She had chewing gum in her mouth when authorities found her. She was wearing a silver chain with black and white striped curves, a good luck charm. The victim was discovered on April 10, 1979, in a wooded area off the New Jersey Turnpike near East Brunswick. She had been shot in the back of the head. So some of the older images or depictions might have more of that eerie feeling to them. Um, but where the newer ones really look so natural and realistic that it almost feels like you're actually looking at a photograph of a person. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting project to become a part of or to create. Uh, why, why were you interested or why are you interested? Why have you sort of dedicated so much of your time and your life to doing this? I, I started out um, by just, you know, being a web sleuth and just looking up true crime stories, uh, just having an interest in that stuff and missing persons. And then I discovered there were unidentified persons for the very first time in my life. And I became, um, I became kind of obsessed with a case that happened very near to where I currently live. Um, a, a young man had perished in a vehicle accident and um, I just wanted to read everything I could about this case, and I wanted to share it with my family and my friends as much as I could, and I wanted to show them pictures. And I realized that most people don't appreciate looking at pictures of, of the dead. Um, and so I realized what we needed was a website where they could come and see these images without being afraid of running into post-mortem photography. So my website is specifically that. I wanted to make it as widely accessible as possible so that the general public could come visit and take a look. And it's all 
images that are created by art or objects that were found at the scene where they perished. Uh, so there's nothing creepy or gross about any of these images, and they can look at them and they can share them with their family and friends and possibly widen the circle of people who have access to these images and thereby possibly solve more cases. It's interesting on the sort of front page of what the website is all about. It says the power of a picture. What are, what yes. are you sort of getting at there? Well, the power of a picture is what really drove me to create the website because it was that one single image of that man who had died in a car accident you know, near my house that really drove me to create the website, but also to completely change the course of my career. I ended up going back to school. Um, I, through when I was investigating this, uh, this, this man's um, identity, I ended up developing a friendship with the deputy medical examiner who has been working on the case. And I sought her advice as far as how do I get into your field? And she advised me to return to school because I have a Bachelor of Arts degree and what I need is a Bachelor of Science degree. So I went back to school and I'm currently attending a local university for criminal justice and forensic science death investigation. How many pictures do you have up on the side now? You know, um, I have a lot more than what are actually accessible at this time because when I started the website, I had created several different pages and broken them all down by categories. And now I am reforming the site so that it's much easier to use so that you can sort and filter cases. Um, I would say I currently have a few hundred that are accessible, but I think it's probably closer to a thousand once I get them all re-added to this new format. You sort of got it this But way. there's actually 10,000 cases of unidentified persons, which is a shocking number. 10,000 cases across the country that law enforcement agencies are working on, which is obviously more than you, you have on, on, on your side and have access to. Correct. I would love to have them all on my site, but I can only feature the ones that do have those images that I can share. You talked about this earlier, but talk to me about some of the different photos that you have there. There are some people who may have been homeless who just died, some people who have been in a car accident, as you mentioned, some people who were murder victims. What are the different types of individuals that you have there? I feature a wide range. Um, I do not have any children on my website because I think that um, viewing images of, of children really elicits a strong response. And I didn't want to have anybody be turned away from the, the site. So it's really more <clears throat> of older, um, older individuals, maybe you know late teens and onward. Um, some of the categories are broken down into things like victims of serial killers or people who we know were hitchhiking. Um, there's tattoos because those are a great way to identify people. Uh, the other, other items that I would use would be, um, there's a lot of forensic art on the site. Um, I, I try to really um, bring interesting categories that capture people's attention so that they will take a look and possibly you know, share the information uh, just because the more eyes on these cases, the better. Case number 15480.
this was a victim of serial killer Robert Shulman, and interest in this case has been revived lately. She was a prostitute picked up by Shulman. He took her back to his motel and smoked crack with her. He claims he blacked out, and when he woke up, she was dead. He dismembered her arms and one leg and disposed of her in a trash bin near a New York shopping center. She is known as Yonkers Jane Doe. I wanted to talk to you just about a couple of cases. You mentioned the serial uh, killer. It looked like there were three cases that were associated with that one. Can you sort of talk to me about what we know and obviously what we don't know about that, that those particular cases there? Let's see. There's actually several cases where we know that these people were murdered by a serial killer, but we don't know who they were. Um, one of them I know is, is somebody who goes by the, the nickname Orange Socks because she was found wearing orange socks. And I believe that her case is actually being uh, handled now by the DNA Doe Project, and they have successfully solved several cases recently. So I feel very confident that they'll be able to figure out her identity as well. Um, there's a few other cases. Um, Henry Lee Lucas had confessed to killing several people, and those, those images are on the website. Um, just, just many different serial killers who have confessed that, yes, this body, this is, one, this is a body that I, you know, that I did definitely, uh, you know, I'm responsible for this body, but I don't know who she was or who, who he was. Uh, so we're still seeking their identity. Something so fascinating about that where for a killer, it's a victim. It's somebody who was at the other end of the crime. And for somebody else, it may have been a brother. It may have been a sister. It may have been a loved one. And those people sort of never have the answer. There's just something so fascinating about not knowing who who these people were. I mean, it, it just, it, it sort of... Uh, even from a, a, a like a, a spiritual point, it's almost like you just you don't know who they were, where they where they grew up, what they did, who they who they were friends with. There's just something so fascinating about the unknown part of that. I agree, and that's why I really want to focus on those cold cases because I feel like these families they really just need an answer. There, so much time has passed for them that just having some sort of resolve would mean so much to them. Case number 5221, the year 1971. Her sketch on the unidentified website is in color. She looks young. Authorities estimate she could be about 18 years old or maybe as young as 15. She has soft features, green eyes, a pretty young woman, blonde, reddish hair. She's holding up her arm in front of her and this may be the best clue. A brown, wide leather band with a small brass ring containing a lady's West Clock watch, that piece of jewelry considered an important clue. Found inside her pants was a key to a local motel near the Garden State Parkway. Her body was discovered in the woods off of Jim Leeds Road near milepost number 42 of the parkway in Galloway Township. The cause of death? Possible strangulation. I wanted to talk to you about another case. It's case 5221, a female in New Jersey, 1971. Body discovered in the woods off Jim Leeds Road near mile point number 42 of the Garden State Parkway, Galloway Township, 
down in New Jersey. That's a fascinating case because... No, I'm not looking at it. Is this the one with the bracelet? This is the one with the bracelet. Yes, that is a fascinating case. It, it sort of stood out to me because this is one where y- you, you look at her image. I mean, just a, such a pretty young girl, and they have this uh, bracelet that's there. What, what do you, what can you sort of, t- sort of talk to me about that case? I mean, how did, do you remember how you picked up that case, how you sort of came across the sketch, how it, how, you know, how, how does a case like that end up, uh, end up with you? I think that the case just spoke to me. The images, there's something intriguing about that cuff that she was wearing. It's so unique. And she had specifically wrapped her watch inside of that cuff. It didn't. It did not originally come that way, but if you actually look at the image, you will see that she has, uh, you know, kind of put her watch inside the the um, holes of this bracelet, and there's just something so intriguing about it that I feel like somebody has to remember it or recognize it. Somebody out there knows who this girl is, and so I wanted to feature her image on the website just to make just because there's such a great possibility of somebody recognizing that and it's it's that bracelet that could sort of set it apart right i mean sometimes you uh, you know you you may just have a uh, basing these sketches off the autopsy picture but this one is a little different because there is an artifact that's in there correct yes um and there's actually several types of forensic art related to her case um there's many sketches some composites uh i believe um, you know, a forensic artist Carl Koppelman also sketched his depiction of what she might have looked like. But yes, having an object that people can look at and see if they recognize, it really increases the chances of somebody being able to identify her. And talk to me about how you would find a case like this. I mean, are, are you searching actively through like a database in, in New Jersey? And then how does how do you how do you find a case like that, and 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 then how do, how do, how does it end up being featured? All of my cases are sourced through the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, which is a database which was created by the National Institute of Justice. And I'm not affiliated with them in any way. They own all of these images. They own all of the cases. But I want to share them in a way that might actually help their purpose. Uh, so when I look for cases, um, I'm really just looking for images that I can share that might increase the likelihood of, of a case being solved. And that's how I am placing these images on the site. And so for her sketch, was that one that you had done or was that one that was already out there? That was one that was already out there. And I have reached out to forensic artists. Um, there's several exceptional artists out there, and I have reached out to them to ask if they would be willing to share their collection on my website, and many have said yes, and that's something that I'm still working on making accessible. I think it's a really intriguing, um, you know, a really intriguing forensic art collection uh, for people who are interested in these types of things, so I'm going to try to get that going as soon as I can. The Unidentified is the name of the website. Have you been able to identify anyone uh, based on some of the work that you've done in, in this or or maybe even if it's not from you but in the time that you've posted them have you found that someone has been identified 
have, as far as personal successes go, we have one possible identification in the works. Uh, one, one person who was uh, a missing person who was discovered by my partner, um, and his his unidentified case is actually not on the website, but we were able to uh, compare the missing person with an unidentified person case, and we're waiting on the results for the DNA uh, comparison to come back for that case. So as soon as that comes back, I'll be very excited to share the results for that. Um, another thing that we are excited about is um, we have also discovered a few other missing persons who were never entered into the National Missing Person Database. So what we're trying to do is work with those families to have their information entered. Um, a lot of times missing families of the missing, they aren't aware that their loved one is not currently in the database. And there's no way that they're ever going to find what happened to them unless they're in that database. So we're trying to reach out and find those people and work with them and, and get them entered. Case number 6056. Estimated year of death, sometime between 1975 and 1977. It's a jarring image. The sketch shows a man with shattered and missing teeth. He has bug eyes and dark hair parted straight down the middle. He was a man who was murdered and disposed of in a river not far from Syracuse in upstate New York. His body had been tied by rope to two cinder blocks. He was in the water for two weeks before being discovered by fishermen. That happened in 1976. A clue, he was wearing a gold chain with charms of an Italian Manu Carnudo symbol. The Manu Carnudo is used for supposed magical protection to ward off evil. His case is also featured on Death Clues, social media site from the unidentified.org. There was one case that stood out to me as well, where it was a gentleman who, for such a long time, nobody knew who he was, and he had jumped into the river and he tried to rescue some people whose car had gone off a cliff or gone off a bridge and he died in the process and so here you have this guy who was sort of doing a heroic act who nobody knew who he was uh, until recently is that right that's right and I do feature that story I actually have an article from his daughter featured on my website um, where she shares her story of what it was like to try to identify her father he is a really intriguing case in that he was about to go on trial for a crime that he had committed or allegedly committed, and he was living under an alias. So when he died, it was very difficult to determine his true identity, and he had just a, a really crazy story where someone tried to claim him um, so that they could fake their own death, and it, just, it was just a twist, a lot of twists and turns. Um, eventually, they were able to identify him just recently, and his daughter does share the story of how hard it actually was to get him identified, what that process was like, and I think it's a really intriguing story for people to read. You know, this this project that you're doing uh, has so many sort of twists and turns to it, but to me, in doing some of the work that we've done with some of the cold cases, there's, there's so many, obviously there's millions of people walking around every single day and not to get too sort of 
spiritual here, but when somebody dies and you don't know who they are and people can't claim them and people just sort of don't know, it's almost like they, these people who, who you featured and you've sort of almost become an advocate for, I mean, it's like they're, they're sort of trapped between, between wherever they are, whether they're just identified so a family can have a closure, identified so law enforcement can have a closure. I mean, these are people who walk the earth and now are, are it's, it's almost like they just vanished. Yes, that's a beautiful way of saying it. I, I want to help them finish their story. They lived an entire lifetime and they need to have an ending to their story. And that's definitely the goal. And I hope that their families want to see that as well. Well, I think this was a very productive conversation. <laughs> um, I do too. Re Rebecca, uh, I mean, anything else you want to say about the site and sort of some of the work you're doing or, or maybe even a case, um, you know, any particular cases that even if they're in the New York, New Jersey area that, that sort of stand out for you? I, I came across that Jersey one, but I'm, I'm sure there may be others. You know, I'd have to take a look and see which New York or New, New Jersey cases really stand out to me. I mean, there's a few missing person cases who I would love to be able to match up with some, you know, of the unidentified um, just to, to close out their stories. Um, I would definitely say to check out the Instagram at uh, Death Clues because I also am posting there where I feature items and, and beautiful objects that were found at these death scenes. And in that way, people can also try to identify some of these people. And have you found that since you started this site that people have sort of discovered it and that they're, that they are sort of reaching out to you just because it's, you know, they're, because you can go on Instagram and social media and these, and these kind of things and, and sort of keep it, keep this, uh, keep their, their search going. Yes, it's really interesting. I do feel like I have been able to coordinate. I've developed relationships with law enforcement and um, some of the NamUs representatives. Uh, and so I do feel like I can help the families of the missing and unidentified work through these various agencies and really make sure that they get their goals accomplished. It's really been exciting. Um, I'm now having about hundred people a day are accessing the website and and really just um you know looking through it and and trying to see if they can identify people and it's it's been a huge success it's only a few months old and i'm already seeing some positive results and uh even just being verified by the doe network as a recommended resource is something that i'm very proud of and i feel like that really validates our our you know what we've been doing that's what i was going to ask you how long have you been working on this website where you've been taking these images, finding these people who haven't been found, these people who haven't been discovered and sort of piecing it all together? How long, how long have you actually been doing that? I've only been doing it a few months, and that's why it's so, I'm seeing such positive results. Um, the website really only became live in March, so it's just been a few months, and you know we've already had thousands of people on the site. Wow. Rebecca, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, one last thing. I mean, if, if somebody listening to this wanted to reach out to you or, or get some information to you, how would they do it? They are welcome to email me. My email is admin at theunidentified.org. I would be happy to speak with you if you have a missing person case that you would like help with 
getting submitted or if you have any suggestions or tips regarding any of the cases that you see on the website. You know, we worked on the Jane Doe case. I think the Jane Doe case is, I mean, that's where we got the sketch from. I mean, that's where, that's where, that's sure, where the Mount Vernon Jane Doe. Yeah, yeah the Mount, Mount Vernon Jane Doe. And you said that that case sort of had, um, you know, ha had, a, had a special interest for you. Uh, where do you, how do you sort of see that case? Where do you, ha, ha, when you think about that one, how do you, how do you sort of think about it? You know, it's funny. There are certain cases that really just appeal to people. And that case in particular is one that does appeal to me. I saw her image and I've been intrigued ever since the moment I saw it. I would love to be of assistance in seeing her identity resolved. Um, I, I feel like that, that case it, it's so it was such a brutal murder it was such a horrendous circumstance of discovery I would really like to see that one you know closed out and so I would be happy to do whatever I could to to be of assistance in that case and I will uh, henceforward you know try to uh, feature her case or or your podcast episode on my website as well just to see if that helps yeah I like that we like that um, and uh, and then too, you you said that there is something that that you're working on. I mean, you know, we could uh, we're, we're still talking here, but if you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to. But you said that there there may be a New York connection to um, to a DNA uh, th this DNA that you're that you're sort of waiting for. C what can you tell me about that case that you're working on? I mean, you're, you've taken it a step further into the field where you're actually working with a family, working with DNA to try and find the identity of someone. It's really interesting having gone through that process and knowing how complicated it actually is to get DNA submitted and have the case actually be, um, you know, run through the comparison database in CODIS. Um, it's, uh, you have to, when, when you have a family member who goes missing and it's a cold case, uh, it's possible that they may not actually have an open missing persons report filed with the police. And that's one thing that you have to have in order to have this DNA run through the lab. So it, it was quite a process to try to get that accomplished. Um, and then I did get the chance to you know work with the family. I was there when they took the DNA. So uh, just seeing the actual process of how this happened was invaluable as far as being able to help in the future and know exactly how things have to proceed. And that was the case of the individual who's in a car accident or, or was involved in that car accident? Was that the one that we talked about earlier? Uh, yes, that is the case of the person who was involved in the car accident. We believe we have found the family who... Um, you know, who did have the person who went missing, and we suspect that this is the correct person. It's certainly possible that it's not, and we'll find out, you know, as soon as those results come back, but we're very hopeful. Well, maybe we'll have to do a follow-up episode. <laughs> uh, that would be great. Re Rebecca, I I'm truly grateful. Thank you so very much, and thank you for helping us um, get in touch with uh, your sketch artist for, I guess it's not your sketch artist, but that... Um, the sketch artist for that Jane Doe case. Uh, I think we're going to try to talk to him as well because such a different perspective of of you're you're in a way featuring the dead and he is drawing the dead. Um, so such a such yeah. a such a yeah correct of, yeah yes that will be very interesting. I really enjoyed speaking speaking with you. I loved your podcast. I loved the episode. So this was great. Thank you, Rebecca. 
The Tape Room is part of the Fox 5 Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dan Bowens. This episode was recorded, edited, and mixed by Matt Onimus. Our executive producers are myself, Matt Onimus, and Ahmad Asgar. Byron Harmon is vice president of Fox 5 News, and Lou Leone is vice president and general manager. Stay tuned for the next episode of The Tape Room.